Hello, I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and today is a very exciting day at Front Office Sports. Very excited to have ESPN NBA analyst Doris Burke. Owen, good to be with you. How you doing? Damian Lillard. Legend and breeder of kings, heaven and down to earth, and all of the things in between. Tom Brady. You know, when I was a kid, I wanted to grow up and be a professional athlete, and I was very fortunate to uh, have that happen. And many more. This is Mike Tyson, and you're listening to Front Office Sports today. Yes, it's our podcast birthday. Whether you've been listening to us from those very first days or are just tuning in now, you listeners are why we keep doing this. I said in that very first episode that we have big things coming. I hope we delivered on that in year one. And I also feel like we're just getting started. Speaking of which, it's Friday, February 2nd. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. One of the most iconic dynamic duos in the history of Formula One is breaking up. Lewis Hamilton will leave Mercedes for Ferrari in 2025. The company and the driver have been together for 12 years, and Hamilton won the driver's championship in seven of those. However, in the past two years, Mercedes has been lapped by Red Bull, who utterly dominated the field last year, scoring more points than the second and third teams combined. Those two runner-ups happen to be Mercedes and Ferrari, and it seems that the 39-year-old Hamilton does not believe that Mercedes is capable of catching Red Bull while he is still racing. The move injects a new level of excitement into Formula One as we move past the hype brought from the first few seasons of Netflix's Drive to Survive series by pairing its most iconic driver with its most popular brand. Adidas will sell its remaining stock of Yeezy sneakers, perhaps completing a very awkward chapter for the company that began in 2022. The brand had a very lucrative partnership with Kanye West when Ye made a bunch of anti-Semitic comments on social media. That led Adidas to pull the plug on their partnership and to stop selling his sneakers. The only problem was that the Yeezys were really popular, and Adidas had already stocked up on over a billion dollars in his merchandise. Last year, Adidas decided to resume sales and donate the profits to anti-hate groups. In the third quarter of last year, Adidas sold $374 million in Yeezy shoes, boosting an otherwise weak quarter. At the time, Adidas still had around $320 million worth of Yeezy shoes, which represents the last remnants of a deal that turned ugly. And if you want to get hyped for March Madness, this is your weekend. On Saturday, we have the biggest rivalry in college basketball, with Duke taking on North Carolina, and also number four ranked Houston versus number eight ranked Kansas, fifth ranked Tennessee, more about that school in a moment, against 10th ranked Kentucky, and on Sunday, we have a title favorite in Purdue up against sixth ranked Wisconsin. Should be a fun one. The NCAA is facing yet another lawsuit challenging its uh, control over college athletes. This one coming from the University of Tennessee. Joining me now to discuss is Front Office Sports reporter Amanda Kristovich. Welcome, Amanda. Hey, what's up? Hey, so um, I'm having trouble juggling all these NCAA lawsuits in my brain. What is the story of this one? Yeah, uh, you and me both and literally everyone else in covering college sports. So the lawsuit du jour um, is the attorney general, the state attorney general uh, in the state of Tennessee, as well as in Virginia, filing a suit against the NCAA, arguing that um, its restrictions on NIL deals, specifically the uh, prohibition on using NIL as a recruiting inducement, 
um, saying that, that those rules violate federal antitrust law. And for anyone who doesn't know what antitrust law is, is basically the United States um, statute act that governs our free market that says that in the United States, you can't price fix, uh, you can't, you know, it artificially set a market rate. Um, it govern, it allows for competition, et cetera, et cetera, with exceptions, of course, but that generally that's what it is. And the violations of antitrust law are what the NCA in many instances has been accused of for several years now. Um, and that's sort of the vehicle by which folks are attacking the NCA in court. So, I mean, where my mind went immediately with this was this feels like, I mean, isn't everyone in reality actually using NIL as an inducement to recruit and just finding ways to not say that directly, but that's actually what's going on? Is that accurate? Yeah. I mean, um, obviously, this was also in response to uh, the news that an investigation into Tennessee had been opened by the NCAA over an NIL deal their main collective made with um, a quarterback and like questions about, as far as I've read, like a pro- like the investigation is not public, right? So all we know so far is like they're looking into the player getting on a private jet. I, I don't know. You know, honestly, it's all kind of ridiculous, like in the sense that you're right. Um, it's pretty obvious that NIL is being used as a recruiting inducement. Uh, whether directly or indirectly, of course, it's factoring into players' decisions, whether they're having specific com- you know, conversations about it or they're just Googling how much money they a school is rumored to be giving its players. Um, and then the other part of this is that the NCA has published conflicting guidance and clarifications about what their rules on NIL actually are. So, um, you know, it's, it's, very clear to me that the schools that are getting investigated and punished are just the ones that are the most high profile about it. Um, and Tennessee's athletic director actually posted a statement just a few hours ago um, saying as much, essentially saying exactly what you just said, which was that if Tennessee is found to have been violating uh, the NCAA's NIL rules, then so has literally every other major athletic department. And if Tennessee is successful in this lawsuit, if they win the lawsuit, um, are, are we essentially looking at a world of of college athletes effectively getting signed by schools, you know, saying, you know, you get X amount of money if you come play with us? Yeah. What's interesting about this lawsuit is a lot of folks are saying that, like, this is a lawsuit that could kill amateurism. And amateurism is the idea that players are not employees. They don't get paid. Right. To the extent that it would... I think it would indirectly kill amateurism in that it would outlaw the NCAA's ability to, you know, prohibit NIL being used as a recruiting inducement. So it could be used as like a salary type situation, right? Um, I'm not sure that though that it would kill amateurism in the way that other um, lawsuits directly targeting the idea of of the employment status would, but I think ultimately the world that this lawsuit would create in addition to like what it would deem legal and illegal, it would set a a precedent 
um, that would make it very hard for the NCA to defend its no employment model on antitrust grounds in the future. If amateurism is still a thing in like a year or two, I, I will be amazed because it feels like it's just it's getting attacked by pretty credible arguments uh, from multiple sides. Um, anything that you're kind of watching out for as, as this unfolds? Yeah, I mean, I think that to your point, I think we're going to get an initial decision on the fate of amateurism at some point in you know the calendar year. I, I would add the caveat, though, that the NCA is going to appeal every single negative decision all the way up to the Supreme Court and that the people who are, you know, suing the NCA, whether they be state legis- you know, state attorneys general or private people, lawyers who are frequently suing the NCA, um, I think they're also going to run these decisions up the food chain and go as far as they can in the appeal process if they don't get what they want. So I think it could take a few years for a final decision. Um, But between this and the NLRB case that I was in LA covering last week, uh, that's finishing up another session at the end of this week. um, uh, Yeah, I think we're going to get an initial ruling at some point before December. All right. Amanda Krisovich, thanks for juggling all the lawsuits. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. Of course. Thanks for having me. Up next, in between reporting on NCAA lawsuits, Amanda took a deep dive into a fan-made documentary on the Providence basketball team and Ed Cooley, its coach up until this season. The film has caused a huge stir in college basketball circles, and Amanda spoke to the anonymous filmmaker and other people involved here. It's a crazy story, and that's coming up next. So you wrote a feature for Front Office Sports about this documentary called Divine Providence, made by an anonymous fan uh, about the Providence basketball team and its coach, Ed Cooley, who is now, as of this season, uh, head coach of the Georgetown Hoyas. What's the story with this documentary? Yeah, so I want to preface this by saying for anyone who doesn't know any or any of our listeners, um, I am a proud Georgetown alum. So uh, just keep the uh, Hoya bias in in your head as we go through this story. But um, this is one of the more- Got Hoya-tinted sunglasses on here. Sunglasses. You know, I do my best to to be objective, but, you know, I just got to be honest with you. But the other thing I'll say is like very pro-Big East bias. Uh, This is one of the more fun stories I've ever covered at FOS. Um, Okay, so disclaimer aside, essentially what happened- um, was about a week and a half ago now um, in the lead up to the first Providence-Georgetown um, matchup with uh, Ed Cooley, you know, going back to Providence for the first time since leaving. In in the lead up to that, an anonymous DePaul uh, basketball sort of like Big East Twitter burner account person um, called the Blue Demon Degenerate created a documentary about Cooley's um, history in Providence. You know, he was born there, um, you know, was the coach for a very long time, built the program. And then at the end of the season last year, just like basically shocked the Providence world by deciding that he would take the job at Georgetown to replace Patrick Ewing. Um, And the documentary itself had some pretty well-known people in it sort of in the Big East Twitter space, um, but also had a pretty prominent um, Fox Sports Big East reporter. So it got it, it definitely had some credence. Um, 
the last 15 minutes, I think, were the most, um, well, where the big controversy came from. Um, the, uh, the documentary kind of went into some unsubstantiated rumors about Cooley's personal life, which I'm not going to get into here, nor did I get into them in the story. Um, but if you watch the documentary, you'll know what they are. Um, and it, caused a bit of an uproar um on Big East Twitter. And as I'm sure this is anticipating your next question, um, fast forward a week later, uh more controversy around the documentary uh pushed it way out of the Big East scene. Like it literally took over college basketball, um, the college basketball discourse across, you know, all the major conferences, I would say, and and, and um journalists for like a good three days. Um, so yeah, it's been pretty crazy because I spoke with a blue demon degenerate over Twitter slash XDM. Uh, he did not agree to reveal his identity to me. He did not agree to get on the phone with me. I interviewed someone who also took part in the documentary. That person did a video interview with blue demon also doesn't know who he is. So um, it's just like, a quintessential Big East disaster story. Yeah. And is the conversation since this all dropped, has it focused on Ed Cooley, on Providence, on Blue Demon Degenerate, all of the above? Is there kind of a center of gravity here? Yeah, I think all of the above in the beginning um, for the first several days. Um, you know, the Providence fans loved it. The Georgetown fans hated it. Um, and every everyone else in the Big East, you know, world was kind of along for the ride. Although I will say that even the Georgetown fans who didn't like it, um, a lot of them appeared to at the very least be excited about the fact that someone, even if they weren't a journalist or even if no one knew who they were, was making long form content about the stories in the Big East because the Big East, and I can say this from personal and professional experience, has a long history um, of being ignored since it was reborn in 2014. Um, ESPN put out a documentary called Requiem for the Big East at the time. It's a pretty good documentary, but the Big East still exists. Like, there's no Requiem, um, you know. And I think the center of gravity shifted, though, in the last few days when Blue Demon posted this long Twitter thread about creating the documentary about the fact that he had decided to include these rumors saying that he wasn't endorsing any opinion or voice in the documentary. He just wanted to give the Providence perspective um, that he had planned to also create 10 other documentaries and post them on these accounts that he had called Big East Films. And then he posted um, screenshots of direct messages that he received where he got threats about being essentially like sued and sent to jail um, <laughs> from prominent college basketball reporter Jeff Goodman. Um, and that like Blue Demon versus Jeff Goodman uh online controversy blew up the video even more to the point where it got like 40,000 views in a day before it was taken down, at least the first time, theoretically for trademark copyright issues. Um, and then like everyone on the internet weighed in, including um, Barstool and it, you know, the Barstool contingent caught wind of it. And that 
sort of interpersonal spat. And I hesitate to say interpersonal because again, nobody, we don't know who Blue Demon is, right? Um, That interpersonal spat sort of blew it up even more. Um, And the question of coverage of Big East basketball stories, the question of, you know, journalism ethics, are you expected to follow the ethics um, of journalism if you're not a journalist and you have no intention of being one, which is what Blue Demon told me, you know, how he sees himself, not a journalist, never has been one, never will be one. Um, how do you, you know, what are the expectations there? And and would an anonymous fan be making a homemade documentary that goes viral about a major college basketball story if there was more coverage of, you know, the non-power conference basketball programs. Yeah, I, I want to talk about Jeff Goodman's more. But on that point of, hey, I'm not a journalist. I'm just throwing stuff out there. I mean, that ship has sailed. He's obviously not the only person who's ever done something like that. Uh, but having seen the documentary, do you think that is a fair approach to just be like, Hey, I'm just throwing stuff out there and, you know, take it as you will. It's not my opinion. Um, you know, at, on the journalist side of things, I'm like, Hey man, like that's not cool. <laughs> like you can't, um, there's a reason journalistic just ethics are a thing. And if you're acting as a journalist by producing this sort of content, I feel like, you know, these standards should apply whether you like them or not. Uh, but anyway, I wanted to get your take on that. Having spoken to him and seen the film, um, do you, um, ha- how do you kind of take that response? Yeah. I mean, ultimately, like from an ethical perspective where this documentary, if it were created by a journalist, where it missed the mark was that it didn't, as far as we know, um, or didn't say that it reached out to Georgetown and Ed Cooley, um, you know, in response to these claims, it acted as if the claims had more legitimacy than they really do. And in addition to that, the claims themselves are about Cooley's personal life. They kind of have nothing to do with basketball. Not kind of. They have nothing to do with basketball. Uh, So, you know, there's that. There was also a pretty offensive uh, quote from one of the um, fans interviewed uh, comparing Cooley to Hitler, which um, is offensive on so many levels. I don't even have time to get into that. Why, you know, that was aired is also sort of a question of journalism ethics, right? To answer your question, though, I've been thinking about this. And honestly, and this might surprise you because I'm usually pretty, I'm quite a stickler on all of these ethics and and these rules, right? But like, I don't think that somebody who is not a journalist, who is not posing as a journalist who is creating something, you know, entertainment, something in their free time, even though technically it's a documentary, like the bigger issue to me is the lack of media literacy that we face on a daily basis all over journalism and media, not just in sports, but it's in sports too. People not knowing the difference between, you know, a professional journalist, someone whose job it is, you know, who's held to a certain industry standard of finding and reporting facts versus, you know, just somebody on the internet. Like to me, I don't think that we can, nor we should 
be imposing those standards on just like the everyday person. I think the bigger issue is the fact that people clearly can't tell the difference or they can and they don't care. Um, That's the bigger concern because like I personally don't see how any, any reasonable human being could take something made by somebody known none other than the blue demon degenerate seriously. And that's not to discredit you know, the work that he put into this, this, whether you want to call it, you know, art, documentary, just like kind of like homemade, whatever. But like, if you're taking that seriously and you're giving it the same amount of credibility and weight as you would a piece of professional journalism, that's on you. That's my opinion. Yeah, and, and like the media literacy thing is, I mean, it's it's a huge issue, especially because I think there's a huge section of the population um, that will take something like where if let's say you don't like Ed Cooley because he left your team or whatever you don't like or you just like a scandal. A lot of people just love you know gossip, and you know it, you don't care that much if it's true. You're not like well, 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 like let let's back this up. Who is this guy? You're just in you're you're along for the ride. You're enjoying the chaos, um, and and it's you know easy to just kind of have fun with it, even if you know it's it's a little irresponsible. Um, so yeah, I mean it's it's I don't have the answers to this. I think it's just like a it's just a feature of the world we live in um, uh, that that created the blue demon d- degenerates of the world. Um, let's hop back over to Jeff Goodman for a sec. Um, ha- what was his beef here? Was it just like the stuff that we were talking about or, or does it go deeper than that? Yeah. So um, sort of on Monday, um, I spoke with Jeff. Um, he declined to comment on the record at the time, but since his release, kind of like a short video, basically saying that his issue was the fact that it was his understanding that people or a certain person had been misled to believe that this documentary was being created by official Big East channels by the fact, by the, the nature of the Twitter account that it was going to be posted on being Big East films, which no longer exists. I personally also like, we all make mistakes. We all forget to Google, but I mean, come on, (laughs) like, and and the interviewee that I spoke with, who is a student journalist, smart kid, um, had no, you know, gave me no indication that he was being misled and also made it clear to me that Blue Demon Degenerate didn't give his name to the to, to him. So it's like, how could an official Big East channel be interviewing you for a documentary when you don't know the name of this person? I don't know. That's just my opinion on that. But that was what Jeff said in the video he was trying to defend. Um, you know, and then I, but then I also could imagine that folks were upset about the rumors that were not new to the biggies Twitter discourse, but that had been rehashed and given a bigger platform on this documentary. Um, and I think that that's legitimate. Um, he apologized for the specific messages that he sent. Um, which were in many ways, you know, not kosher, but also in other ways, pretty funny. (laughs) Or at least one of them was about asking whether uh, Blue Demon looks good in orange. And as a Georgetown fan, I can say that uh, I do not look good in orange. So 
that should be noted for the record for all of the FOS listeners. Um, <laughs> nor do I ever intend to wear orange. Um, but yeah, again, it's just like everything got really intense and I'm not discounting anyone's feelings here. I'm not discounting, you know, the very legitimate questions of the, of, you know, whether or not these rumors should have been platformed. I imagine it's been very hard on, you know, the Cooley family, you know, not just this, but over the past several months, just having to hear these rumors, they haven't been addressed. Georgetown did not respond to my request for comment, but ultimately, um, you gotta laugh at all of it. You know, like you have to laugh, you have to laugh. And again, if the media, if the mainstream media community was more interested and more, you know, in legitimizing the Big East as, you know, one of the big conferences in giving it the the storytelling resources that I personally think it deserves, I don't think we would be in a situation where the vacuum needs to be filled by an anonymous Twitter user. Yeah, Um Last question on this, I think. Uh, is this story over now? I mean, have, has the dust settled as much as it's going to settle or, or is the, the degenerate going to rise again? That's a great question. Uh, Blue Demon tells me that he is not sure whether or not he's going to continue making these documentaries that he intended to make. Um, he also tweeted uh, that something big was coming. Uh I don't know what that something is. Um, I imagine the memes will continue. The Big East Twitter scene loves the how do you look in orange comment. And I personally hope that it survives for a very long time because it get, especially with the Georgetown Q's rivalry, it's a, it's a great, it's a great meme. Um, <laughs> but I think, I don't know. There were, you know, because it caught the eye of Barstool, people were suggesting, oh, like, would Barstool hire this person to, you know, make content for them? I don't know the answer to that. I think it depends on Blue Demon's next move. So we will just have to see. Blue Demon has promised to keep me informed. So I'm holding it. Right. Okay. Well, you're on the Blue Demon degenerate beat now. So we'll, we'll be, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> keeping up with that one, I guess. Amanda Crispich, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me and for listening to one of the most ridiculous and amazing stories I've ever covered. <laughs> That's it for today. That's also it for year one of Front Office Sports Today. Year two should be a lot of fun, so make sure you're subscribed, share this show with your friends, and thank you to everyone who you don't hear on this show who makes it what it is, namely our producer, Daniel Myrick. Bella Santos does our social videos, which you should check out on our FOS Today social feed. Matthew Tabik was our managing editor until recently. He is now focused on the Front Office Sports newsletter. And Mac Montandon, as of this week, is our podcast director. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. We will see you on Monday.